Hey listeners, it's me, Alyssa Johns. I am in the throes of editing this podcast episode and you know, it's a good episode. However, um, we accidentally left something on in the background and unfortunately it got recorded into the episode. So I'm not sure if it was the washing machine or the baby monitor or a combination of both. Um, but if it's going to bug you, please skip this episode and we're going to fix it for next week and double, triple check that we don't have anything running in the background. So it is back to just our usual melodic voices. Um, hope you're having a good one and we'll see you next week. Bye. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the next session. An advice podcast for game masters, I guess, seeking help with their next game session. You guess? I guess. I suppose. You suppose it's game masters? It could be players. I came up with a new segment. Oh, no. What is it? It's a... Why why do you say oh, no? Because you're giving me that look. I see that look on your face. No, I have a cool idea for a segment. I came up with a new segment. I have a cool idea for a segment. That you only told me about right now while we're recording. right this moment. Okay, what is it? Well, I came up with it earlier before we started recording and I forgot to tell you before. Oh, sure. Uh Mm Uh-huh. The new segment is Design a Dungeon Room. Oh, okay. Yeah. That actually sounds good. Where we work together to, to like make up a room in a dungeon. Oh, I like that. I mean, our podcast is already too long. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's, well, yeah, we'd we'd have to do that instead of some other segment, I guess. Yeah, something. But for I don't right, know if we're gonna do that today. I just came. No, I, I just came. You up. literally just told me about it, and yeah. I thought it was a joke. It wasn't a joke. <laughs> it was a real segment. The really Jimmy Buffett room. The Jimmy Buffett room. There's a parrot in the corner. Okay, done. There's a hamburger stand. Oh my gosh, Margaritaville. This is mostly like a social encounter, where there's like a Jimmy Buffett guy, and he's trying to get you to. Relax on his like beachfront property. Okay. Next session help comes from find his lost sacred shaker of salt. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Next session help comes from Light Guard Forty. Okay. Light Guard. Light Guard. Does he guard against the light? Or is he a guardian of the light like he's gonna? I thought maybe they were like a lifeguard of light. Oh. Sure, okay. He like swims out to save the light. Does well or maybe like a uh like, you know, there's light towers. Yeah. What are those called? Lighthouses. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a light tower. A light tower. <laughs> Classic light tower. Yeah. The lighthouse guard, and they're 40 years old. They're or there's 40 guard. of them. Maybe he's just not, doesn't weigh very much. Oh, there you go. <laughs> he's just the light he's guard. He's just, he lost some weight and is bragging. Yeah. A little flex here. 40 maybe is how much weight he lost. Oh, hey, good for you, good, light guard Good on 40. you, light guard 40. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, all right. Used to be heavy guard. <laughs> now he's like him. more to love guard. Forty. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel. Uh, Needs some small advice on how to conduct a quote unquote bard battle. Oh, if this. you know anything about the silver cuttlefish, the monkey with a gun, or the potato farmer that despises birds, skip this episode. I mean, I know those things. I don't know any of those. <laughs> I don't know any of those um, things. <laughs> I like that, though, because that implies that Lightguard40 thinks that a lot of people listen to our podcast. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. So they're saying, my players might actually listen. Maybe they were like, hey... You got to listen to the, this podcast, and now they're saying, "Oh crap! I want to, I want to actually ask a question." But the silver cuttlefish, the monkey with a gun, that yeah. I don't want them to know about it. Hey, silver cuttlefish, monkey with a gun, or potato farmer that despises birds. 
Don't listen to this. Yeah. That's uh, spoilers. Yeah. That's not that's no good. Maybe give it a couple couple weeks. No bueno. Then you can come back and yeah. see if you were right. You know what? Wait wait until uh the guard who's lost lots of weight uh <laughs> can can let you know the all clear. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Every all the spoilers are done. Bard battle. Long story short, my players are I feel like maybe we gave it up already with the bard battle. <laughs> we said bard battle before we Sorry to talk about spoilers. That was them. They I know, phrased I know. their Light question Guard this way. This, that is, I'm just saying. That is not on us. Yeah. Sorry, Light Guard. No. No sorry. <laughs> you did this. You, did, you asked yeah, this the question on, this, this way. You. <laughs> you could have put your spoiler alert tag on the front, but you did not. So On you. Right. Long story short, my players are about to encounter a bunch of puzzles where I want to make each character a star in their own encounter. Oh, I love that. I have things set up already that will make the rest of the party feel powerful, but I'm struggling a bit with a bard. Just to clarify, each of these things is a separate encounter, so there's no worries about trying to fit more things into this encounter, just things that will make the bard feel either useful or powerful. Okay, cool. My idea was to have a sort of devil-went-down-to-Georgia-type battle where they face off with an opposing bard, but I don't want this to be just a performance check roll-off. I was originally thinking of having the two bards stand on their own pedestals, and perform music to buff the rest of the party while they go to either kill the opposing monsters or they fight through a bunch of enemies to obtain a MacGuffin or anything like that, but it feels a bit weak and unentertaining for me. What are your thoughts? Have you done anything similar or have any suggestions to offer? Okay, so first of all, I love the concept. Uh, I'm such a big fan of whenever you can like really highlight specific players and, and you know... It, as a player, if you walk into a, like a dungeon room or whatever, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this is for me!" Like very clearly, it's a setup for me to like have a great time and like be a highlight as a player. Like that's just a cool feeling, and makes you—I mean, definitely makes you feel like appreciated by your by your game master in that moment, right? Especially if it can be entertaining enough that everyone's like, "Oh, this is for the bard, yeah," and not, right. "Oh, all right." check out right yeah i'm um, not gonna pay attention it's everybody gets me. to be a part of it but it's also clearly like an opportunity for that one player to like really shine if, if, especially if you can be really well designed so good on you like uh that sounds that sounds like you're you're on the right track and bard battle devil went down to georgia style style sounds amazing it does sound pretty cool so i've done this a few different ways um one way that i've done it is rockman three Keep going. Is, is, <laughs> is you just have everybody play rock band? You just take a break from the game and play rock band. Uh, no, uh, one way that I've done it is that uh, um, your playing music creates a summoned creature, and then you control it through the music, which doesn't really have anything to do with the music itself. It's just an opportunity for the bard to basically like control another creature. Okay, like so, a monster. So essentially, and doing so with their music. you're making this like Pokemon. Or Magic the Gathering or something yeah. where they're playing, but they're also, like, having a, a fight. Right. But the two creatures are going against each other. Some of this is a question about, like, how mechanical you want to make this versus, like, how role-playing oriented you want to make this. If you've got a bard who's, like, big into the mechanics of the music equals spells kind of concept, then you may want to lean into the mechanical side, right? This is about speaking to the, the player that you have at the table. Um, whereas if you have a bard that's like just wants to 
you know, talk about music and and charm their way into deception of, of other people or, or, you know, charm their way into, into being friendly with crowds, um, then you may want to go more of a role-playing route here. Um, so we'll, we'll give a couple of mechanical possibilities, but then we'll also give you kind of like a, a way to make this a role-playing interaction instead. Mm. So mechanically, uh, yeah, Pokemon battle, right? Right. Um, and, and to make that really fun, you can pick out a few different monsters that are a re- representation of different kinds of music. Totally. Um, and especially what kind of instrument they're playing. Right. So you can say like, are, so are you going to play something more like upbeat or more like down to earth? And you can have two or three different monsters picked out based on the questions that you ask them. And you don't have to reveal what the other monsters are. You can just ask the questions and then say like, okay, great. Based on the music, as you play this music, this monster appears. Right. And now that's the monster that, you, that they're that they're playing. You chose to play your lute, and suddenly the Loch Ness monster comes out, and right. whatever. Um, play a flute, and so you get a, like a wind elemental or something. Um, I'm or, a big fan of elementals in, the, in this case; they're really, really useful. For this or a thing. bunch of fairies that act as a swarm when oh, you play yeah, swarm of fairies when you that's play uh, fast enough. <laughs> yeah. <Ooh. laughs> um, so I think you could go some cool directions with that. And conceptually, it would be that the bad guy also summons some kind of monster. And if you did, if you went that direction, you could have the players, the other party members, fight alongside the monster. Um, so the bad guy gets to summon a monster, and maybe he even has like a band, you know. The, <laughs> the, the devil's band shows up, and, and they summon some small monsters or whatever, and now you've got you know, your teammates fighting alongside of, you know, a big earth elemental uh, against a fire elemental and a bunch of, like, little methods. And now you got, like, a cool a cool kind of battle that's going on. You could even add in buff mechanics that the bard can, like, continue to do. So not only are they controlling this, this creature, but they can also, like, the creature maybe can buff their teammates or the song they're playing can, like, provide buffs for their teammates at the same time. Okay. All right. I like it. Um, gives a chance for your bard to shine, but everybody else still gets to fight in the battle. The bard gets a, a unique mechanic that they get to really utilize. Um, and if they're big into into the mechanics part, then that might be that might be pretty interesting. Um, I've also done uh, where the bard just has sort of amplified buffs. Now, the real challenge to making this unique to the bard is that the bard has to have the opportunity to continue to sort of shift things around. You, mm-hmm. There needs to be like a like a mechanic, almost like a board game mechanic going on in the situation. So the bard like has more stuff they need to do. Um, if you want to play it more on a buff style, you could once again do another combat. But in this case, the bard just has specific things they can give out to each other player over the course of the of the combat. Um, so I would make those like really, really specific things. Like every round you can give a reroll to another player. You can do that as a reaction whenever you want. Um, and every round you can give like a big plus bonus to another player. Um, and every round you can heal another player. And like those are just sort of amplified abilities, right? You get your bard abilities, but you also, in addition to your turn, you get to give out these extra little buffs that you can just do at any point during during this particular combat. And that can be a representation of like, you know, you're on the stage. Mm-hmm. You're you're you know, you have to stand on the stage. You're invulnerable in this battle while you're on the stage, but 
and and the benefit is you can give buffs to your teammates, but you can't leave the stage. The it means you you're the music it. backer, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so those those are mechanical ways that that you could go. I, I'm not sure that like running through a maze or anything like that is as interesting. If you think about it from the perspective of like I'm playing music, like a concert seems seems so much more appropriate for for that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean they do say that they want there to be they're they're setting up a bunch of puzzles for all the players. Mm-hmm. So coming at it from a puzzle perspective, I would say that maybe the room has been enchanted and there's hidden items in the room and you can only find them if you're playing certain instruments or certain songs or whatever, mm. kind of like the um, the uh, magical eye from Zelda Ocarina of Time. What was that? Eye of Truth? Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, mechanically the challenge with that is that you don't want an iterative puzzle. So, uh, for instance, let's say there's, um, you know, a panel in the corner of each, of, uh, of each corner of the room and you have to play, the panel opens depending on which instrument you play. Mm-hmm. And you have five instruments. And so you go up to the first panel and you go, I use the flute. And then it goes, well, it doesn't open. And you go, okay, well, I use the lute. Okay, I use the harmonica. Okay, I use the bagpipes. Like, then the puzzle just becomes, did I try every single one oh, of right, the instruments? Right, right. And right? it's tedious and right. boring. And right, exactly. what's the point? Gotcha. That works well in a video game. Iterative puzzles are great in video games. Right. But in Dungeons & Dragons, they don't they don't translate very well because the application of iterative puzzle means that you don't get to do anything really. Mm-hmm. Um, so either if there's like a combat happening at the same time to occupy everybody else's time, in which case you don't get to participate in the combat, which stinks. Right. Or there's not a combat, in which case literally the only thing you do is you go, well, I tried the loop. Nope. Okay, I tried the, yeah. the next thing. Nope. Um, okay, what <laughs> if yeah. you go into a puzzle and you uh, everybody gets shrunk down, Okay. and there's a giant, well, you're shrunk, so it's normal size, uh, pipe organ, and you have to get to the top of the pipe organ to um, reverse the spell or reverse the clock, so there might be like a time element to it, and the bard has to help facilitate the playing of the pipe organ and helping everybody, but also buffing the team members through the pipes as they're playing the right chords. Uh, also, cool idea. How does the bard... What does it actually look like mechanically in the game for the bard to like go, I play a different chord? Yeah, I don't know if that's what you're here for. <laughs> I'm here for the story. A, okay. You're the mechanical <laughs> guy. Okay. I am the master of the mechanical <laughs> stuff. We were just talking about Wild Wild West the other day. Um, yeah, uh, I am, I am the master of the mechanical stuff. If I were going to do that, Uh the way that I would do that is that I would give the bard, um, uh, I would basically do it like a little physical puzzle. Yes. Um, like, uh, like I would have, um, uh, you know, when you go to like a restaurant and they have like, uh, uh, word jumbles. No, not a word jumble, but like the stuff, like the, like a maze on the back of a. Of a kid's menu? Of a kid's menu. Uh-huh. I would give the bard, like, a series of pipes that are intertwining with each other. I would draw a picture of, of like, intertwining pipes with starts and fi- different starts and finishes. And then I would give them, a, a basically, a thing that they could do um, that would that would activate different pipes. Okay. All so, right. And I would color them so they could be color-coded. So this obviously requires a tremendous amount of extra effort on, on the setup. 
Um, but then what what you do is now you have a, a bunch of different you know things that the bard can can put down. They have to solve the puzzle as the other players are are going through are their, going through are through their stuff. Um, and so then you can you can do the whole thing as like a grid, and then the bard has to sort of put down their piece of paper to to like let you in from one room to the next room, and they. And they can still participate in the combat in various different ways. They can still provide buffs and, and songs and things like that. So they still have a, their turn in the... If there's a combat. If, the, if there's a combat. I mean, or, maybe there's spiders. Right, or, or whatever the case may be. But but they also, every turn, they have to, they have to like, move this, this thing around to, to, like, let you in from one room to the next room. There was an old board game called The Amazing Maze that I had growing up, which I think they have a, like, newer version of. But mm. when I was growing up, it was like one of my favorite board games and there were pieces of the maze and you would add your piece in and it would push off the piece on the other side from yeah. wherever you added it. Cause they were all these different maze tiles and like you telling me about the, the idea of the pipes and intertwining and the different puzzles made me think of that game mm-hmm. where like you have a maze and you're trying to get all the, your piece all the way through the maze, but you have to manipulate the maze in specific parameters. And mm-hmm. I, I really like that idea of maybe using that. So um, like Guard 40, if you're 40, then maybe you've played the Amazing Maze. And if you are have just lost 40 pounds, then good for you. And um, go look up the Amazing Maze and maybe it'll give you some inspiration. Hmm. Let's talk real quick before we, we finish, because I think there's some cool ideas here. Yeah. But before we finish, let's talk about a, a purely role play. Okay. Resolution. So I've always loved the idea of description of music without actually having to make your players play music. Um, I love playing music. I love, I love the incorporation of music into into Dungeons and Dragons. I also recognize that not everybody feels comfortable, even you know, drumming on the table or whatever, in a way where where there's any kind of expectation whatsoever. Uh-huh. Um, so as you get into the role play aspect here. If you have a group of players that are willing to, like, make some terrible music together, then, man, totally do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Make people sing terrible lyrics that they just made up. Make somebody drum on the table. Make somebody, you know, strum their ukulele, poorly tuned ukulele <laughs> that they happen to have there. Someone has to dance uncontrollably until the music right. stops. Um, if, if you have a group of players that are willing, then that sounds like a lot of fun to me. But I'm gonna guess that you don't, because I I would feel like most people don't have don't have a group of players that are all willing to jump in. I I don't think I ever have had a group of players that I could I could actually get to do all that together. Um, that being said, uh, the other way to go is make this like a rock band. Um, make it like a battle of the bands. Um, imagine that your players, you know, have a wardrobe they can change into clothes with. And they have instruments that they get to pick out and let them describe from a purely role-playing perspective, you know, what is what style does everybody take on? You guys are a band. How are you going to look like a band together? Um, and and then have them go through each, each of the aspects of description of what they do in this sort of battle of the bands concept. And this can be like, you can't, you know, pass on. You have, you have to defeat the, the reigning champion in this battle of the bands as you come in. Um, and and in order to do that, you've got to make a band, and you've got to play a, a, a set of music, 
and at the end of it, you have to see how well you do against this this other person. Get the crowd to really like you more than they like uh, the the devil's band or whatever. And I've actually done this. I actually did a similar Battle of the Band concept. If you listen to the Psychology in Seattle podcast and their D&D episodes, I actually did this in one of the D&D episodes where I had them all describe performing as a band on a, mm-hmm. on a stage. Um, so if you want to point a reference, feel free to, to check that out. Um, but uh, functionally, what you do is you just say, okay, cool. What, how are you all dressed? What is your band's name? Um, what kind of music do you play? Is it metal? Is it rock? Is it folk? Um, what instrument is everybody playing? Um, and then you can really let the bard shine here because you are going to have everybody roll a performance check or something like that to, to ju- just to give them a little bit of opportunity for the bard to be to like really use what the bard is good at mm-hmm. um, in in like a positive way here. And then you you know describe the the crowd going wild as they as they play their songs and and you can say like oh okay that was a really upbeat you know, hardcore metal song. What's what's your next song? You gotta play two songs. What's your next song? I mean, to really get the crowd engaged. I, I I like this idea, but I'm worried that this doesn't fulfill the brief enough. That it doesn't make the bard shine enough. You know, like I I think this works if the other players have like a string go bad or break or something happens where the bard has to help. So again, I'll, I'll point out the the reason why I would do the role playing one would be if I have a bard who loves role playing. Right. So functionally, this is a way to like let my bard player, which is sometimes true for for bard players, to be like, oh yeah, I'm, I, I know I know all the descriptions. I can I can throw in you know we are um, Balthazar and the Metalheads, and that's that's our band name, right? You let the bard really run with it, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the, these questions can be asked of the bard directly rather than of the group as a whole, right? Um, so you can turn to the bard and be like, "They're expecting that this is your band. What is your name for the band?" Right. Um, so you can really let this lean into this being the bard. As, as the shining point by the questions that you're asking and, and by the opportunity for that. Now, like you said, um, that might not be what your bard is, is doing. And maybe your bard is actually a, a shy person who, who maybe has trouble coming up with some of this stuff on the spot. In which case, this is definitely not the direction that I would go for that, right. for that player. This is, this is a choice that I would make to either go more mechanical so that I can mechanically help the bard really shine versus more role playing. And I would make that choice based on the, the player that I had for the for the bard. So if I've got an outgoing bard who loves to chit chat with NPCs and who loves to to make stuff up and and make illusions and and all of that stuff, the role playing method might be a really fun way to execute this whole thing. Make the bard feel like they can they can really shine and have a great time with it. Um, and there's very little dice rolling that actually has to happen. Right. Cool. All right. Well, there you go, Light Guard 40. Yeah. I hope that's helpful. I really want to hear about this bard battle. I think that um, that's a great idea. Yeah. I do like the idea of you doing like a golden golden loot reward. Yeah. Uh, or something. Golden fiddle This just makes me think of Futurama where he's like, wouldn't, wouldn't, it, <laughs> wouldn't a golden fiddle weigh a ton and sound terrible it's more of a courtesy prize yeah. <laughs> i do really like the idea and I'll, I'll say once again good on you light guard for 
really highlighting your players individually. That's that's a lot of fun. Definitely. Okay, moving on to pending nine eight seven. I think they're um, gonna let us know later. Oh, okay. What their username is. Great. What uh, their name is. Well, let's move on again. <laughs> <laughs> pending nine eight six. No, I guess it would be nine eight seven six. Never mind. <laughs> pending nine eight seven says, "What's in the box?" Okay. I have two hidden chests that my players will probably find. They are on a quarantined ship that the PCs are stealing. Oh, a quarantine ship? Yeah, that's a little close really? to home, right? Whoa, too soon, <laughs> yeah. dude. Um, I have a chest basically filled with some magic crossbow bolts and a bit of gold, but I need some help filling the second chest. What do you suggest? Hmm. What's in the What's in the box? They've got one. It's just a bunch of masks. Oh no! <laughs> that's also too soon. <laughs> it all feels too it's, soon. No, wait, it's, it's too a vaccine. Real. Uh, but it's not been cold properly. Oh, no. So terrible. It's gone bad. Okay, well, let's not, don't do that. This is all makes me feel terrible. Yeah. Um, okay, okay. We're losing listeners I know, this. like, by the minute. Um, okay, they're on a quarantine ship. I, that's, I, I can't do anything about that. That's on pending. Yeah. They're on a quarantine ship <laughs> that the PCs are stealing. Okay. What would be a fun thing to have well, on a quarantine ship? What I would do is think about who's on this ship. What are where are they going? Why are they a quarantine ship? What are they what are they quarantining from? What would be valuable to them? Think about it that way and you'll have your answer. You know, you you want to come at it from the story point of view. What is the captain hiding in this other chest? Maybe it looks empty and if you find a secret thing, you open it up and it says the real friends are the friends you made along the way. Uh, uh, back. No. Well, they already have magic crossbow bolts. And a bit of gold. And a bit of gold in one chest. Maybe, maybe the, oh, okay. I like, what about, what if the second chest is just a bunch of magic rings? But like, it's just like a pile of magic. Oh, no. Are and these the all, joke rings? These are all joke rings. These yeah. are the joke rings from <laughs> our joke episode? Yeah. <laughs> It's just a pile of totally ridiculous rings. The rings that that make you get an additional attunement slot if you attune it. Yeah, <laughs> you attune to this, this is, ring. No, this is actually good. And it this gives is you the, an additional attunement. The slot. perfect way for them to like start selling these rings and like not really caring about them or like what am I going to do? I'll smelt them all down and then later. Like we said in the joke item episode, which right, I believe is like our... a sword that gets a plus bonus for every attuned magic item. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that was, a, um, that was our season one finale. Yeah, I think We talked about that. That's good. I like that. I was thinking maybe, just to swing it back to our last episode, maybe this is the um, Abracadabas. Oh, yeah, yeah. The box that... Uh... The chest with the, the 20 yeah, charges yeah. and... Um, that could be cool. Yeah, I think that's a cool like idea. Like, they'll open yeah. it and they'll go, this box has nothing in it. Um, yeah, yeah. In the, in the previous episode, we, we talked about the Abracadabra. Abracadabras? Abracadabras. Um, which we won't get into too much detail, but it basically lets you, uh, like, make a bunch of food and stuff like that that you... Abracadabras. Uh, Abracadabras. Um, totally feel free to look it up. That might be a really cool choice for, for a chest here. The, the chest itself is now a magic thing, then. That they can take along with them. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I would do. Yeah, that's a super cool idea. It's really good. Or, you know, you can always go with a mimic. That's true. I mean, if you want to throw throw another encounter at them. I love mimics. Have I ever told you about how I did an entire room of just mimics? Oh, no. Yeah. The players all come into this chest room, 
Whoa. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, they come into this room, uh, and there's like, uh, I've done it several different ways, but but a the room has like eight or ten chests all that all look different. And then there's a door on the other side of the room that's that's got a big giant lock on it. And then the players go and start trying to open chests, and every time they try to open the chest, it's a mimic and it attacks them. And the secret to the room is all the chests are mimics and the door's already unlocked. So the big giant lock is just a just a ruse, fake, or like <laughs> it's locked in such a way that the door just opens. I mean, the door is just closed. Just you have to just go try the door. Yeah, I know what I was saying. I when I imagine a big giant lock, I imagine a big like like, like a padlock. Yeah, like a no, padlock from your like school a, days that a, you have <laughs> the combination padlock. You have to go past zero. Everyone knows this. Yeah, um, you twist it twice. You have to go past zero twice. I think. Yes, but there's a way where, like, if you wanted to make it look like your locker was locked, you would, like, close it, but then you would, like, lock the lock on the outside hole and not the second hole, and then you could just open it. No, I was thinking just a regular, like, built-into-the-door lock. Like, what kind here? What what is a regular, like a... Like a, Are we getting into like lock semantics? Well, it's just, just like a keyhole. There's just a keyhole in the door. Oh, <laughs> you put a key in and oh, you turn okay. like a like right. a key to unlock like a, the door. You're thinking like Alice in Wonderland style. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. So like clearly now they're looking for a key that must exist in one of these chests. So then they have to keep poking chests, which all turn out to be mimics. Gotcha. That makes more sense in my mind because when you said with a giant lock. I was like, well, there's, some like a padlock? there's a giant-ass bike lock on this door. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> hey, I can't be the only one who thought that. <laughs> this is like, what is that game with the with the different... Telephone. No. <laughs> the game where the, uh, Steve Harvey and the different... <laughs> like a... What is that? Uh, Family Feud. Family Feud. Yeah. Where... Show me show me padlock. Right, exactly. <laughs> and ding, number one answer, because everyone thought that, Adam. No, 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 no. We have, a, you we know have an audience Alice in of, Wonderland style we have was number 10. Dungeon Masters. I'm sure that lots and lots of people thought of like Alice in Wonderland style. You know, those big skeleton Keyhole. keys. Could Keyhole also lock. work on the bottom of padlocks. They also have a that's, key. That's unbelievable. You're unbelievable. <laughs> All right. Should we answer this actual question? I think we already did. The answer is wait, wait, abracadabras. Wait. <laughs> Final, answer. Final answer. Final <laughs> answer. Ding, number one answer. Yeah, you don't want to call in a, a phone call or a 50-50 or something on We this? don't have anyone. We yeah. haven't had a guest in a while. That's we should true. get a we guest. Should get, we should get a guest. <laughs> this is unbearable. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. We should take a break is what we should yeah, do. Yeah, we should take a break. Okay, break. <laughs> and we're back. Hey, we're back. How was your break? Uh, it was great. I looked up skeleton keyholes and locks and um, came to lots of conclusions about how I'm right and you're wrong. What? That's ridiculous because I surveyed 100 people. <laughs> <laughs> hey, in one <laughs> Um, Adam. And I can tell you definitively that you were absolutely right and everybody thought of a pet <laughs> 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 It's like 97 people. Okay. 
That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you, 97 out of 100 people. Also, it's COVID time, so I hope you did this remotely. I did. They were waiting in line for a different show. Oh. <laughs> they were very confused. They were all waiting in line for 90s court. Yeah, they were all. Here. There you go. They were all waiting in line. There you go, Andy. For the live, live taping of 90s court. I would go to that and yeah. virtually. Yeah. The live virtual taping of 90s court Should podcast. we do, is, is that a thing people do? Do people do like live podcast recordings? I have no idea. Can you like attend or virtually attend a live I, podcast I mean, recording? essentially it would be like if we had someone on Zoom watching us right now while we're doing this. <laughs> pretty strange. That's yeah, pretty strange. it would be pretty weird. But... Yeah. If you're listening to this and you think that would be a cool idea, you should tweet it us and tell us. Or if you think that's a dumb idea, you should tweet it us and tell us that. Anything really, you should just like If you're on either side out. of the extreme... If you feel very middle ground, don't say anything at all. Just give us five stars and have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You know what? I'll go out and survey a hundred people. <laughs> I don't think you know a hundred people. <laughs> what? You know, I don't think I know a hundred people. Do you know the only reason I know we 100 had people? We had one hundred and twenty-five people at I, our wedding. Do I you have, remember all of them? No. <laughs> they were I mostly do. family. You remember all of them? I had to do all the invitations. So you should survive. I'm, I don't have the time. <laughs> all right. Let's go to You just got to be more efficient at using your break time. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> uh, I'm sleeping on the couch tonight. Yeah, you are. Um, um, ask a GM from Bolognagiri. Bolognagiri. It's Bologna-giri. Oh, Bologna-giri. 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 Bologna? Bologna Geary? Yeah. Oh, okay. My Bologna has a first nope. name. It's been... 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get sued by Oscar Mayer. Man, that would be that would be the best. <laughs> Only if their lawyers come in the Wienermobile. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. I hope they deliver the lawsuit in the Wienermobile. <laughs> the giant briefcase that is actually like just <laughs> really like long. A big, yeah, it's like a big hot dog shaped briefcase. <laughs> They have incredible. to fold all of their paper hot dog style, not hamburger style. Oh my style. god. I really want to be sued by the Oscar <laughs> Ryan people now. <laughs> all right. Uh, Bologna Geary says, should I give my players a cursed item without telling them it's cursed? So. Yes. Uh, should... <laughs> there's more to the question. There's more. I'm just going <laughs> to say yes. Absolutely. So I DM a group of people who have never played D&D or any tabletop role-playing games before. I'm about to give a character a cursed item via a hag deal. Upon giving them the item, should I let them know that it's cursed? They're not expecting it, and I don't think they know what cursed items are. When I give them the weapon on D&D Beyond that I craft up, should I put it in the item description that it's cursed? The curse is not character-breaking, but the curse doesn't allow the weapon to kill a creature. The benefit is that it gives you a plus two on attack rolls. If it does, it reduces it to one hit point instead. So if it hits, I guess. Uh, Normally, I'd let them find out after the curse effect takes place with letting them know about the curse before the effect, but after the deal, be too nice. Hmm. Okay, this is a super interesting question, especially with new players. The Okay, let let me specify a couple of things about how I like to handle curses in my game. You give them out all the time. You're um, cursed, and you get a curse. I want a cursed item to be significant. In Dungeons and Dragons, especially in Fifth Edition, um, it is actually pretty easy to remove curses. By the time you get up to like level five or something like that, clerics can all cast remove curse. 
Um, and in which case you can just remove the curses from magic items. I hate that. Um, it's so boring. Here's a cursed item. Okay, I removed the curse. Done. Problem solved. Even under the circumstances that you don't have a cleric in your group who can cast from, you know, meditate for the day and cast from your curse. Um, you go to like a temple or something like that and remove the, remove, pay to remove the curse. All of that is so boring. I hate that. I think curses should be much more permanent from that. I think they should be much more character altering. And I think they should be um, removed through specific methodology. I think it should be like, you need to do a such and such thing. Go on a quest in right. order to remove Like this clearly curse. this is a curse about dying. So the removal of this curse has to be about living or it has to be the antithesis. Right. Um, or, you know, this, uh, this cursed item has a history, has a, has a, a plot history of who originally wielded it. And therefore, like, you need to find the, their nemesis and destroy their nemesis. And that's the only person that can be killed by this item or something. Or who originally welded it. Oh, oh. Welded. <laughs> um, it's just wielded, but spelled wrong. As you, so that's, that's my personal feelings. Also, um... I personally like cursed items that you can't get rid of. Um, so you can't just be like, oh, this item's cursed and is annoying, and I'm just going to sell it or leave it here in the middle of the Chuck it out of a tree. Chuck it at a tree or whatever. Throw it into the ocean. Uh, no, I like cursed items that you cannot take off or you cannot get rid of. It's a sword. You can you can drop it, but it winds up back in its scabbard right at your hip every time you it's do it. It's very Jumanji. Um, yes. I, I I want this to be something that is now a part of your character. Um, and, therefore, because it's a much more permanent addition to who your character is, both makes your character more interesting mm-hmm. um, and forces the player to have to make interesting choices with, with what they have. But given that in your game it would be more detrimental would you then give it up that it's cursed before they bought it um no okay um because i also think that it's part of the job of the game master to to like push on the players a little bit um to get them to make interesting choices you have to provide challenges in front of players in order to give them the opportunity to make a choice about the challenges they have so i give you a cursed item and then I give you a, you know, if you're like, oh my god, this is the worst, I'm going to hate this, then I give you a way to get rid of the first item. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can make the choice to say, is this important enough for me to try to get rid of it? In which case, that's an interesting character choice. So I wouldn't ever give somebody a cursed item and be like, yep, you're stuck with it for forever, this is how your character is now. Um, I would give you a way to, to right. get rid of it or way to remove it if you decided, no, this is horrible and this isn't what I want. The only reason... I ask, I guess. In this situation, um, Bologna Geary does not think that they, the players know what cursed items even are. Mm-hmm. So I might, if they go into um, the swamp, uh, which is, I'm assuming, where this hag is mm-hmm. that they're making a deal with, I would say, be on the lookout for items you might think are cursed. or Then they wouldn't buy anything from the hag. Maybe, or maybe not. Like, you could do it in such a way that, like, maybe there's, maybe this hag deal, you could say this hag deals in all sorts of things from cursed items to rare poisons to magical trinkets and treasures. Hmm. Like, you can just layer that in so that way it's not as much of a surprise later. 
I think that the interesting thing here is the surprise of the item being cursed. Okay. I think that, like, if I warn all my players, if the players don't know what cursed items are, this is like, um, you know, players who are all new to Dungeons and Dragons and then, like, I don't warn them before I put a witch in front of them or, or I don't warn them before, like, a skeleton shows up and be like, hey, just so you know, skeletons exist in this game. Um, I wouldn't do that. And I think that's the same way with the cursed item. Um, I think, I don't think they need a warning. I think that, that this can just be a fun of the, of the play. And even if cursed items didn't exist in Dungeons and Dragons and I just wanted to put something in, once again, I, I wouldn't put in a warning. I would just, I would just let that be a, the surprise that then is the fun part of the game. I guess so. But there are things that they're, they as players might know that, that, or they as their characters might know, but not them as their players would know. Like, as a player, I should expect that skeleton um, archers, sure, skeleton ranged people may exist. Um, or as a character, you should know that. Yeah, my character would know of this. My character knows that quicksand exists and, and would be on the lookout because they're a scout. But I don't know that quicksand exists. Um, so. I guess if I wanted to do it that way, and I still don't think that it's necessary, but if I wanted to do it that way... I would let everybody have a roll, like a perception check or a or an or a knowledge check. Everybody knowledge roll an arcana check um, to see whether or not you know about your character knows about the existence of cursed items. Okay. Um, but then, if I did that, I would expect them to avoid buying anything from this hat because if my if my general warning was like, just so you know, your character knows that some items are cursed items, <laughs> I would expect that they wouldn't end up buying anything from the hat at all. Mm. Um, but let's say they get the item they didn't know about cursed items now now you have it um, in this case given the, the kind of item that it is I would probably let the players know the instant that they equipped it but I would also make them bound to it mm-hmm. um, and I would make personally I would make the curse a little bit more extreme Really, in the sense that um I could just choose not to use that weapon, right? Based on the curse as it reads, um, you know, the curse is that the weapon gives you a plus two bonus on attack rolls, which is cool. But doesn't allow you to kill a creature. It instead takes it to one hit point. Right. So then I use it a couple of times to attack the creature, and then I'm like, oh, I think the creature's, you know, getting really badly hurt. I put away that weapon and pull out a different weapon and then kill it with that other weapon, which then makes the curse, like, Mostly just a weird inconvenience for the player. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to, this weapon will not let you kill any creature. Um, the weapon will intervene, and the creature will be reduced to one hit point. No matter what you try to use to kill the other creature. Would... Okay, there's a scenario here that I'm thinking in my brain. Mm-hmm. I have a player, a friend, who drops dead. Or who is um, knocked unconscious mm-hmm. and is doing their, their saving throws, their death saving throws. Could I uh, make an attack roll on them, which would effectively kill them, and then it takes them to one hit point? No. No? I like the cleverness uh... of your thought, but I don't think that the sword heals people to one hit point. I think it does enough damage until a creature is almost dead. I like that you think it's a sword, and I thought it was a hammer. Yeah, okay. That's fun. Like the weapon does enough damage to leave a creature at one hit point and then does no further damage. Or an axe. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I would extend it to like, to like be more significant than that. And I would also let them know as soon as they picked it up, as soon as they become bound to it and they can no longer get rid of the weapon, that what the curse is and how it works. Okay. Um, I've done this before. Um, do you remember Wilder's character that uh, had a berserker axe? Um, as soon as he got the axe, I let him know that it was, that it was a cursed axe. Uh, I think this was during, maybe this was during a one shot. Um, but he got an axe that was a berserker's axe. Um, and I could have waited until he raged or until the situation came up. Um, I do think that this depends a lot on the, on the cursed and on, on the item. I have definitely had players pick up a cursed item and haven't revealed the curse until the moment which, like, the curse would actually appear. Right. Um, and and so much of that just depends on on what the cursed item is, uh, because some of them are just not very obvious. You know, if, if you had this sword and you didn't know what the curse was and you just kept trying to kill creatures with it, and it's like, yeah, for some reason, even though you you hit him with the sword and he seems so injured, he's like, not it doesn't kill. Yeah, him. you don't get to do any killing blows. Yeah, and and it might take a really long time to actually put that together. It might take a really long time for you to realize that it's a cursed sword that is that is stopping you from doing killing blows. And you might just think until you figure that out, which could take liter I mean literally years of actual playtime uh before you figure that out. Which is just like not as much fun as a as a player. The only other way that I would play this would be not to not reveal it and then let them do a single combat where they try to deliver a killing blow and it doesn't work and then reveal it afterwards. Reveal it during that combat. Like you you get a very clear message basically from your, you know, the, your sword glows brightly or your hammer it, glows it brightly. It glows brightly and goes uh uh uh. Yeah, it goes it goes eh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, when you try to try to swing it at a at a creature with one, hand. um, and and like do something like that, like oh, this is a cursed sword. <laughs> oh no, oh no, right. Which could be a really fun reveal. And if I was doing this on D and D Beyond, what I would do is I'd make two items. Okay, so when it's revealed, then you can then have would, the curse line. Yeah, then I would send them the other item and be like, "This is your actual sword." That's good. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um. I do, I do have like, uh, maybe my my view on cursed items is a little a little too punishing or a little too strict for for players. But I, I also have had so much success doing really interesting cursed items. And and I should state I would never do a cursed item that like, um, did really really significant things to your to your character. Uh, like I would never do a cursed item that like made it so you can't cast spells anymore as a spellcaster or. Or, like, a cursed item that um, is going to kill you in two days or right. something like that. Right, there's a line. Yeah. Um, I want I want the cursed item to mildly alter the way you play your character. Um, even this one, you know, you can't deal killing blows. I'd probably make the item more powerful. I'd give it a plus two on attack rolls and plus 2d6 damage or something like that. Like, it's a powerful weapon. Um but the problem is, is that now that you have this powerful weapon, you also can't kill anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, like, you have to rely on your teammates. So, like, you, you like, attack a, a creature until it gets down to one hit point, and then you switch targets to a different creature and, and attack something else. And you just know you're never going to deal the killing blow because your weapon prevents you from doing so. What would the weapon be called? Not the finisher? I think... Oh, <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty good, actually. Anti-finisher. Anti-finisher. The I think I would call it like the blade of mercy. Ooh, I think that'd be or the hammer of mercy. That's good. Yeah, 
I like that. Um, and uh, Bologna Gary, you can steal that. Yeah, totally. That's that's all. That's all. That's all for you, Bologna Gary. Um, but I I also feel like cursed items are so much fun, and and so much opportunity for you to like deepen your character in like a very interesting way. Totally. Um. Hey, let's move on to uh. Use that spell. Use that spell. We are back to use that spell after doing Search the Room last time. Yeah. And maybe we'll still do Search the Room. Adam just needs to come up with what his song is going to be. Yeah. Then we'll do it again. Search search the Room. Um, So Use That Spell is Blight. Have you ever done Blight? I I don't think I've used Blight. Well, here you go. There actually was an old uh, alternate on the Druid, sort of an evil Druid called a Blighter back in 3.5 edition um that was like a super interesting all about like instead of growth and and life it was all about death it's very interesting well blight is all about death uh it's a necromancy spell level four casting time one action range 30 feet components verbal and semantic so close somatic somatic yeah uh duration instantaneous uh, necromatic energy washes over a creature of your choice that you can see within range Draining moisture and vitality from it. The target must make a constitution saving throw. The target takes 8d8 necrotic Ooh. damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. This spell has no effect on undead or constructs. Hmm. If you target a plant creature or a magical plant, it makes the saving throw with disadvantage and the spell deals maximum damage to it. Oh, cool. If you target a non-magical plant that isn't a creature, such as a tree or a shrub, it doesn't make a saving throw. It simply withers and dies. At higher level, when you cast the spell using a spell slot of 5th level or higher, the damage increases by 1d8 for each slot level above 4th. Page 219 on the player's handbook. I like this. This is a, this is a cool, cool spell. Yeah, it's really interesting. I like that it doesn't affect um, uh, constructs or the undead. Yeah, because you're pulling sense. life from stuff. And yeah, moist, moisture and vitality, which makes me think of that Doctor Who, the last human with that moisturizing. <laughs> Ooh, gross. <laughs> so vain and so gross. And veiny. There you go. Yeah. Um, I like that uh, um, that you can target a plant that's not a creature and you can just right. straight up, you know, destroy it or whatever right so if you have teammates that are stuck in some sort of like tangled jungle web around their feet or they're up in like a um up in one of those what is the snare traps or something yeah, yeah like it, a vine snare a trap vine snare them. trap right yeah. um then maybe you could use blight to just wither oh, and yeah. die and then it crumbles i'd probably allow it although the i create a lot of custom plant creatures oh. that aren't quite creatures um and so i if you use this, I, I would often have to go like, oh, is this a creature? Is this not a creature? Right. Because it has specific parameters for non-magical plant that isn't a creature. Right. And a plant creature or a magical plant. Like, is a Venus flytrap a plant creature? Or is that a... Does it have stats in the book? No. But the... a Venus flytrap is only, you know, it's like a little tiny plant. Uh, I would say if <laughs> it's it was a real like thing that exists, a giant so. piranha plant from like Mario, then yes, that's a plant creature that's or a magical a plant. plant. Creature, right. But if it's just a regular Venus flytrap, I would call that just a plant. Yeah, but if it was a giant Venus flytrap, then that's a magical plant or a plant creature. Oh, okay, yeah, it's, an, those, it's um, an interesting from question. Zelda. The ones that what are those? Bacalabas. 
What is this? <laughs> I'm sure that that's not the name, but I love it. <laughs> I can't remember what Babaka it's called. Babaka Baka <laughs> I believe that was the name for the, for the creature. <laughs> it's from, it's from, okay. No, no, I think you got it right the first time. I think, I think we should stick with that. Um, <laughs> okay, I can, I can totally see. Uh, there's a, there's an interesting line to draw there, and ultimately, I guess that's just up to the game master, especially if you're making custom creatures. Um, but I guess if you're pulling anything from you know Monsters Manual or something like that, if it's got like a stat block, then that is probably a, a good way to determine whether or not it's a. It's called a, a Deku Baba. <laughs> you were surprisingly close. I actually. know. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm laughing about. Yeah. I also didn't realize this is a total tangent. I didn't realize that Bemos had a mouth and a nose. Yeah, they're real weird. I had no clue. I thought Bemos was just a big eye on a pedestal. I had no clue it had feet and a mouth and a nose. Yeah, they're really creepy. That's insane. Anyway. Yeah, what were you saying? Sorry, um, I was looking the, at Zelda stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you look up, look up more Zelda stuff. Blight. I like, I like this spell, and it does a pretty good amount of damage for a level 4 spell. Right? Yeah. What? Um, what would it do to a spider web? I don't think spider web is alive, so it doesn't have any vitality, vitality or moisture. Moisture in it. What if it's a wet spider web, covered in the first of morning dew? I like. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> this is just going to be the argument that you can make for everything. What would this do to a wooden chair? Well, it doesn't have any vitality or moisture. What if it was a wet wooden chair? <laughs> wow, you, you've, you've cracked my code here. <laughs> Can I use this to open a metal vault door? Well, it doesn't have any vitality or moisture. But <laughs> what if, what I, if I spritz some water on the metal vault door? And threw some life powder at it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say no if it's wet. <laughs> I, don't think, okay. I don't think that does it. Here's a question. <laughs> yeah. What about plants that have more moisture than other plants versus <laughs> like a plants cactus. that have less moisture? Like an aloe vera versus um, bamboo. Sure. Um, I think I would say it. The, you don't get to keep the moisture, so it just pulls the moisture from the plant. So I think it, like what? the plant wither and dies all the same whether it's an aloe vera or What a kind of plant. necromancer am I that I can't keep the moisture and vitality of a plant and make my own lotion and skin cream line? Uh, n- not a very uh, entrepreneurial one. <laughs> I guess you'll just have to do it the old-fashioned way and squeeze them instead. I was going to call it um, Berry Maze. Yeah, I guess. Instead of, instead of yeah. Mary Kay? Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> it also kind of goes with Billy Mays. I was thinking Billy Mays is actually a better reference there. Um, I do think it's interesting that it's a level four spell. The amount of damage that it does is, but it's a single target, right? Um, and from a usefulness perspective of like other level four spells that you were likely to come across, this doesn't really seem all that super useful. Um. I could definitely see that if you were, you know, in a jungle or something like that, and you're thinking, oh, we might come across some plant creatures. This could be, this could be really good to use. Um, but especially because it's not useful against undead, and there are a ton of undead monsters and, and constructs in in Dungeons and Dragons. I constantly am putting undead and constructs in, in my games, and so 
um, this weirdly becomes like completely worthless to you if you're if you happen to like oh we've wandered into like a completely undead monster campaign huh uh, all right well glad that spell slot is completely <laughs> worthless to me well though. it does work it works on any creature just not undead or constructs right. right. It just it does other things if you target a plant creature or magical plant. Right. So it's not going to be ineffective if it's not a plant creature. Just ineffective if you go into the crypt, right? That has constructs guarding it. That's sort of that's sort of the place where I'm. I'm like, uh, not all okay. campaigns are undead and constructs. No, and and functionally, sometimes my frustration with the usefulness of a spell is based entirely much more around the fact that I like I have to limit. I can't have every spell at all times, right. um, which which just means that when I'm prepping my my spells for the day, I don't I don't really like to change my spells around each day all that much. I might fiddle with one or two here or there, but I don't generally move my spells around as a player, um, and I don't really expect my players are doing a whole lot of that either. I totally forget to ask what spells did you prep today before the session. Oh yeah, I don't like, ever ask. I don't that. ever That's ask. And master. if someone just says, "Oh yeah, I was gonna learn this one today," I'll go, "All right." Yeah, sure. That's fine with me. I also think that the there's a this would be a cool spell to have in the right situation, um, and sometimes there's a, there's a lot of spells like that where it's like, oh okay, uh, it would have been great if I had thought to memorize this at the start of the day or whatever. It would have been great if I had had known we were gonna go fight a bunch of plant creatures. I could have prepped a spell that would be especially useful against them. What about underwater creatures? Hmm, interesting. Because they're wet. No. <laughs> I mean, they are wet. They're wet because they're underwater. So all creatures work. No, I was just thinking about, like, coral mm. is, uh, you know... Like an underwater plant. Like an underwater, underwater plant creature. Like, Assuming that you could do cast the spell. Right. Uh, then, yes. I would, I would totally allow. I would... I would wonder if it would spread in the water. Like, like the effect? Well, like I target one piece of coral, but all the coral is connected, so it, it spreads the blight. Yeah, I suppose uh, my Also, ruling... don't do that. That's terrible for the environment. Yeah, cor- coral is so important. Um, my ruling would probably be that you like kill an area of it. It would be the same way if you like targeted a giant pricker bush or something like that like do you, do you kill the whole pricker bush gosh i wish um, those things are terrible except for making blackberries are the best at making blackberries that's true uh and i'd probably say you kill an area of it and i would just estimate an area of, of how much you you kill using one blight spell also pricker bush Prick, pricker bush. i've always called it a sticker bush sticker bush yeah but it doesn't have stickers on it it's well it sticks you <laughs> yeah, I've always called it a sticker bush. Uh, yeah. It must be a regional thing. I guess so. I don't know. No one ever calls it a blackberry plant because they go, "Well, don't take that out. It makes blackberries." I, mean, I grew up in Arizona, and we just called them cactus. So, <laughs> are all cactuses pricker bushes to you? <laughs> I, I need to see the Venn diagram here. <laughs> the Venn diagram? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Cactus versus pricker bush. Sticker bushes are just blackberry bushes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But there are lots of other plants that have, like, pokey bits. Yeah, yeah. Those are pokey plants. <laughs> Whole other that's, subcategory. That's the Pacific Northwest determination. Oh, of, man. Yeah, those things will poke you. It's a pokey plant. 
right. <laughs> That's blight. That's blight. Yeah, just get some blight, throw it on there. Just or goats. You can actually hire goats to come in. And, and cast blight on your no. <laughs> Goats are great at casting blight. You know what? They Necromancer, are very powerful necromancers. Necromancer goats, I would believe. Because you know what? They have weird eyes. They do have weird eyes. They have eyes. like horizontal irises. Yeah. They're so freaky looking. Yeah. Yeah. I I believe a necromancer goat. But no, you can hire um a, like a farmer with a whole bunch of goats. And they'll come in. They'll set up a fence around the area that you want um eaten. And the goats will just like eat all the sticker bushes everywhere inside the area. I wonder if they ever get sticker bush prickles in their teeth. They probably do, but maybe they use them as toothpicks. Like they're like this is cool, whatever. Just hanging out <laughs> with my horizontal eye slits. Gross. Um. Hey, thanks for <laughs> thanks for listening. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> We're both very tired. <laughs> <laughs> That's no excuse. If thanks. you've listened to this podcast, you know this is the usual. Thanks, thanks so much for listening. <laughs> All the same. Yes, we really do appreciate you. And uh, feel free to tell a friend to waste more time with us. What We we appreciate them as well. Can we, we don't have that many listeners. Can we just like buy a bunch of gifts for our listeners? I really want to. Actually, yeah. I was thinking about making stickers and yeah. having people like email and That'd be fun. Give them stickers. I wonder if people would want stickers. Hey, if you're a listener to the podcast and you would think, yeah, a sticker would be cool, let us know. You can send us a message oh, <laughs> at the segue. website. Yeah. Huh? That's that was, <laughs> that was good. Good segue. You can send us a message on our website at nextsessionpodcast.com. You can submit a question or you can tell us how much you want a sticker. <laughs> um, <laughs> to clarify, <laughs> we're not going to send... Blackberry bushes in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> we'll send actual big, big if, stickers. If of we the send logo. blackberry bushes to you, you can cast blight on them. Um, you can also message us on Twitter and Facebook at the next session, or we're on Instagram at nextsessionpodcast.com. And I'm going to try to find now a um, goat necromancer drawing and put it on there. Oh yeah, it's my new goal. Maybe we should maybe we should commission a goat necromancer. Ooh, I'll get Audrey on it. Um, and he can say sticker bushes, no problem. <laughs> pricker, pricker bushes or sticker bushes. I'm your guy. I'm your guy. I cast blight. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll get rid of your bushes for free. Oh man. Um. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I'm Adam Johns. <laughs> Alyssa's laughing too hard, but she's Alyssa Johns. No, no, I can I can say it. <laughs> I just had no sleep. I'm Alyssa John. Oh, there you go. You've made it. Tune in next time. <laughs> we'll help you prep for your next episode.